Get up on your feet. Let's find somebody and tell them good morning.
desperate and weary and helpless for the rest of my days until you came. And now I receive all that you've done for me. You stepped down from your glory to prove you Story. I will never carry that weight. No, I won't, Lord, now and forever. Every single sin is erased because of your grace. You step down from your glory to prove you were for me. Death is defeated, forever defeated. Oh, death is defeated. Thank God, my debt is paid. Believe it, sing it out. Oh, death is defeated, forever defeated. Death is defeated. Thank God, my death is paid. You step down from your glory to prove you were for me, and now the death is paid. And I will sing with a vengeance the cry of the ransom that seated. All right, people. Say hi to a new kid. This is Jack. It's his first day. Hi, everyone. So, people, we have a new directive. We need to create a video that explains how to bag a shoebox gift 
for Operation Christmas Child. What do you got? Go. Okay. We need to think multi-platform. Do we have brand loyalty issues? Think target audience. What's our demo? How is this measurable? Synergy. We need to think out of the box. Creating a spreadsheet now. Make sure that's in triplicate. How do you pack a shoebox together? Oh boy. All right, Hotshot, him was the messaging bullets. Basically, you get an empty shoebox. Or some kind of other box. It does not have to be a shoebox. I do not want people thinking it can only be a shoebox. We need to push the envelope, people. Not a bag, though. No, not a bag. Who's going to put toys in a bag? Uh, Santa? So, you have your empty box. You decide if it's for a boy or a girl. Then you pick out an age range. That's correct. You pick an age two to four, five to nine, or 10 to 14. Then you pack the box with items for that child. Toys, school supplies, toothpaste, toothbrushes. There are certain things you can't put in the box. Like what? Chocolates, liquids, items related to war, etc. Can't you also follow your box line? That's correct, sir. One can also build a box online. This is getting confusing. It's not confusing. People have options. There's options. People like options. Uh, analytic data does suggest that people do, in fact, like options. All right, people, let's circle back. What's next? Write a letter and include a photo. It makes it more personal. Don't forget, people. People should pray for the child that's gonna receive the gift. I want people to know that prayer is the most important thing that goes into a shoebox gift. Of course! Through these gifts, children will hear about the gospel, some of them for the first time. Uh, sir, the $7? Oh, yeah, right. Let's flush that out. $7? To send the shoebox to the other side of the world. That's a deal. That is a deal. International export is a multi-million dollar industry. And you're complaining about $7? I, I can't even get a latte for that. I wouldn't complain. All right, people, this looks like a win-win. Just deliver your box to a drop-off location. Hashtag boom, you're done. There are drop-off locations across the continental United States, as well as Alaska, Hawaii, and Puerto Rico. All right, that's great, people. Now we have to put all of those stuff into a video, and it's got to go viral. Go. Well, aren't we really saying that through a simple gift, we can share the love of Jesus with the child on the other side of the world? Maybe we should just focus on that. newbie. This has been a real paradigm shift. Let's have a meeting about this same meeting next week. Same time. Good work, people. box. Roar!
package shoebox. Use an empty cardboard or plastic shoebox of average size. Decide whether your gift will be for a boy or girl in the age category 2 to 4, 5 to 9, or 10 to 14. Fill the box with a variety of quality gifts that will bring the light to a child. Drop off your shoebox at the nearest drop-off location. Visit SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC. Have you ever heard anybody talk that fast? <laughs> it amazes me. Try that sometime. I want to welcome everybody today. It's great to have you all here. We're looking forward to a great time of worship this, after, uh, this morning and a great word from God this morning through Mark. And I want to just uh, talk about that video a little bit. As you all saw out there, and there's, there's a table set up out there. Monday, tomorrow starts National Collection Week for Operation Christmas Child. Uh, the goal this year is to uh, raise about... Uh, a little over 11 million, close to 12 million shoeboxes to send around the world from, the, from all over the world. Uh, they don't just go out from the United States. We are a collection center, and we are uh, responsible for shoeboxes coming from Houston, Trinity, San Augustine, uh, Polk, Nacogdoches County. Different churches will be bringing them in next Monday, Monday the 21st. Uh, out there, y'all saw a volunteer sign-up. If you look, there's a volunteer sign-up sheet out there. We still have some slots open, and I'm going to tell you what those times are. On the 16th, we need some, some people from 4 to 6.30. On the 18th, we need uh, some people for that same time slot. On the 19th, from 10 in the morning to 1 p.m. On the 21st, which is a, a really big day, that's when all these churches will bring in roughly 7,000 shoeboxes. Uh, we, we need people from 10 to 1, and then we need people from 4 to 6.30. Now, these people that are doing these sign-up times, what you're doing is, is you're checking in boxes, basically, and you're loading not cartons on a truck, but you're putting the shoe boxes, packing, packing them into a carton. Uh, and then on Monday, from starting to probably around 2 o'clock, we'll start receiving those cartons from those relay centers. We're going to need people, especially from 4.30 to 7.30, and to be honest about it, it probably won't last till 7.30. We'll be probably through before that. But we also need people from 2.30 to 5.30. But that 4.30 to 7.30 is critical. Last year, if you worked in this uh, with us last year, we had cartons lined up out in the parking lot, just uh, rows of them out there in the parking lot. So it's, it, there's a lot of packing, loading that goes on on, on Monday. It's a great opportunity for ministry. It's a great opportunity for you to share the love of Christ around the world with a simple shoebox. It's amazing how much a small gift like that, which we wouldn't think a whole lot about, affects a child. And not only affects a child, but affects the whole family and then the people around that family. Uh, there are, these are in the worship guide this morning. That's how to pack a shoebox. The little um, pamphlet they talked about where you choose uh, the age of the child that you want to give a gift to. There's some of those out on the table. You can pick those up to put on your shoebox. You can, you can bring your shoeboxes up here anytime during the week. Uh, just remember to put a rubber band around the box. Uh, you can use the, rid, the little shoeboxes we have out there, or you can go to um, Hobby Lobby, Dollar General, Walmart, Target, wherever, and buy the plastic boxes and put your, your things in there. The neat thing about those is that's a little box that they can continue to use for a good period of time after that, that they can put different things in. So it's a great week. Uh, it is a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun, a lot of time, a good fellowship here. They even provide a few snacks here and there. Uh, so if you have any questions, you can holler at me or Chastity Overby. She's sitting right there. She's helping me this year, so uh, just, just holler at us. Um, and that's it.
basically, and I'll let Mark handle the, the announcements. Thank you. <clears throat> so uh, if you have any questions, like Robert said, please ask. But we, we want, this is like all hands on deck. We, we need your help. We want your help with this. And it is a phenomenal ministry for our church uh, family to do. So please, uh, as you leave today, make sure that you check out that table or before Bible study. And uh, Chastity, uh, are you able to go to that? Robert teaches right after. Can you go to the table in case people have questions? And I'll try to make my way out there too, and, or you can hang out in here, and I'm glad to answer. All right, lots going on, so that's, that's that. If you would uh, open your worship guide, some other announcements we have. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, there, in, uh, there is an insert in the worship guide with upcoming holiday events. You can put that on your fridge. Put those on your calendar, please, so that you know what's coming up. We've got some great stuff planned. Uh, as you know, uh, it starts this week with National Correction, uh, Collection, Correction, National Collection Week. And we got our Agape Feast. For those of you who aren't aware, who are new to Carpenter's Way, Agape Feast is, is the one all-church huge potluck dinner we have every year. It's next Tuesday evening. It's always a Tuesday before Thanksgiving, so it's on the 22nd at 6.30. Here, uh, we'll turn this next Sunday. Uh, we will empty this room out, and we'll put tables up, and we will turn this into a big old eating place, and it is an awful lot of fun that night. So plan on joining us for that. Um, uh, the rest of those you can read through. Uh, and we'll talk more about those in the coming weeks. But I want to mention also that tonight is our annual business meeting. We will be voting on our, our budget for 2017. We will be voting on a constitutional amendment, which I've been talking about for two weeks, as well as our church officers. Those are all listed in there. Uh, it's uh, usually about 15 minutes long. If you are a member of Carpenter's Way, we'll give you your ballot when you come in. And uh, we would love to have you join us again at from 5 to probably around 5.15 or so. Uh, tonight we will be entertaining questions. If you have any more, uh, we've given you a couple weeks. But we will be answering any questions you may have on the constitutional amendment. Uh, we will answer questions on the budget if you have them. Uh, uh, we will not be entertaining questions on the church officer nominees. You need to address those to us before tonight. Uh, that would be embarrassing, and uh, we don't want to do that. If you have some concerns, please address those to us as soon as you can. Um, uh, let's see what else I have for us. Uh, please notice in your worship guide lots of other activities. Mosaic Center has a graduation. Mops has an event tomorrow. And uh, at this time, I'm going to ask our uh, ushers to come forward as we prepare to take our offering. <clears throat> as they come forward, uh, I just, I just want to, um, how many of you have served in the military? The guys that are walking your ushers, would you stand if you've served in the military before? Um, I don't know how to say this. We've done videos in the past and different things. But I just want to say thanks. You know, we get together here, I, especially this week. You know, I, I talk a lot, and remain standing for just a moment. I talk a lot about the fact that we don't have a flag in here because this, this room, this is not the United States of America. This is an embassy for the kingdom of God. And about, about half of you voted for Hillary Clinton this last week, and about half of you voted for Trump. And about half of you are excited, and about half of you are freaked out. And uh, that is the reality. The other side would have been freaked out had Hillary won. Uh, but none of this debate, none of the picketing, none of the screaming, none of the debates on Facebook, the telling each other off would be possible without your service. And uh, that makes this country unique. The fact that people right now are picketing and those who do damage will be arrested, that's made possible by you. We have the opportunity in this room to speak about the selfishness of our government because of you. And we are fully aware that you made it possible for us not to live in fear today. I mean, we're able to hire a police officer to keep weird things from happening. 
but we're not afraid of the government coming in. And there's a, uh, for those of you, I, I really want to make this clear. This is not a holiday where we honor those who have died. That's Memorial Day. This is a holiday where we honor those who have served, who gave years of your life so that we can do this. And I know not everybody fought. Some of you have fought, but it doesn't make you any less important to the to process. And I want to say thank you. And I know that the rest of you want to say thank you. You can be seated. Now, having said that, I know that some of you are disappointed. And some of us have even had contact this week with people that are afraid. And I know that that angers those of you who have not, don't have anybody in that camp. Um, we, I, I don't want to go into detail, but there are some of you that are working in the inner city. Some of you work with folks who are scared. And I want to remind you that our, plan, our, our job here is not to always just vote and just stand up for what's right, we also bless those that are hurting. So keep in mind that, yes, there's some fraud going on and some of the political reaction going on in our country. But on the other hand, there are people, probably not marching most of them, that are really scared, especially in East Texas. People whose families have been here for 10, 15, 20 years and are really afraid of being taken out of the country and away from their kids and are trying to figure out how that looks. So just keep that in mind. And remember that your job isn't to tell people how stupid they are. Your job is to pray with them. And, and the answer has always been and will always be Jesus Christ. Well, how does that bring comfort to the person who's afraid of their family being split up? Because there's no safety anywhere anyway. Jesus Christ is your safe place. Please don't remember that. Or don't remember that. No, please remember that. Don't forget that. And for those of you who feel like our country took a turn in the wrong direction this week, our country was heading in the wrong direction. Jesus Christ is the answer. For those of you who feel like you won this week, your little citizenship may be here, but your big citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. And I assure you that in about three weeks, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> Keep your focus on Jesus Christ. He is the answer. No matter what person you come in contact with, what color their skin, what their political party, whatever they voted, the point is Jesus Christ. Understood? Agreed? All right, let's commit ourselves to the Lord. If you're visiting today, the offering isn't for you. Uh, this Just pass the plate as it comes. <laughs> I don't mean like the money isn't for you, although it's not. Um, we ask you just to pass the plate as it comes by. It, that's what, this, is, this is our commitment to what God is doing through the mission work we do globally here in the country, the ministry here at Carpenter's Way. We don't want you distracted by money. We're just really, really glad you're here. So thanks for being with us today. Let's commit our time to the Lord. Father, we love you, and uh, I pray, Lord, that you would protect us as a church and as believers. Father, not as a building or an organization, but as the church of Jesus Christ, I ask that this morning as we gather to worship you, Father, in inner cities and in country and rural areas, in churches of 10 people and churches of 10,000 people, churches with black pastors and Mexican pastors and white pastors, Father, there's one thing we all have in common, and it is not a political party. It's Jesus Christ. And Father, I believe that in this country the healing begins and ends with you, and I pray that as churches gather today and people of like minds begin to share frustration or fear or joy, I pray that that would all be waylaid by the, by the fact that Jesus Christ is our Father, our Daddy. He, had us, our, he, he, had, he adopted us into the kingdom, 
that it is our, our prayer that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we would be more about you than ourselves, and that we would actually weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. So, Lord Jesus, I ask you to protect the church from politics, protect the church from herself, and may we scream the name Jesus heals from the mountaintop. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the fact that we can gather together in safety. We thank you for those who have served this country so that we can. And it is my prayer this morning, Lord, that we would now turn our eyes away from politics, away from the world, away from the noise of life, and on you so that the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Darkness seems to hide your face. I'll rest. 
You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. And great are you, Lord, it's your
preached. On the other hand, I think every message I've ever preached is the most important message I've ever preached. I get so excited about a text, but uh, I really feel like, I really believe that uh, what the Lord gave me for us right now is, is really significant, especially in light of where we are as a country, and, and uh, it is always amazing to me uh, how the text ties kind of in, in, in line with, with where we are kind of as a culture, and uh, so I just want to pray. And I want to ask God to speak to us. I know that there's those watching on the internet. I ask you to grab your Bibles and kind of follow along. Otherwise, you're going to think I'm making this stuff up. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we have taken our eyes off the ball. And uh, we started believing that it really has a lot to do with us. Despite just having sung that it's your breath in our lungs. Father, we truly forget that you have redeemed us. You have retooled us, you have given us the Holy Spirit, and now you invite us to join you in your work here on this planet. And to do that, there's great risk. Not just physical risk, but there's risk to our flesh that doesn't want to serve you. And uh, for a lot of us, we love the message of grace because we just want to scream that and we don't want to think about the step the day after grace. And so this morning, Lord, I ask you to, uh, to guard my mouth. Maybe it's better to say guard their ears. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will whisper over my voice today into the hearts of the people that are watching and listening and that your word would burn a hole in our hearts so that we desire to walk with you and know you so that we can pray your, your prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, even if it costs me. So I ask you, Lord Jesus, to speak to us today in a very... Uh, real way and uh, change us because of your word and your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in last week's text, it ended with this, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 to 20. Uh, Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you. And I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. After all, what gives us hope and joy? What will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before the Lord Jesus when he returns? It's you. You are our pride and our joy. Man, that's personal. For those of you who haven't been with us uh, during this series, we're in a series called uh, It's Personal, Not Business. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about this later because we're leaving Thessalonians for a little while now and going into 1st and 2nd Timothy and then six or seven years from now we'll go back to 1st Thessalonians and finish but but I, I want to make it clear that when I started this series it really wasn't about the book of Thessalonians or Timothy it was about the body of Christ it's about us the gathering of God's kids and, and you see in Thessalonians the reason I started with Thessalonians and, and I'm going to repeat this later because I really want you to get this. Thessalonians, in my opinion, is very unique among all of Paul's letters. There is no other letter where Paul doesn't write without banging heads. But in Thessalonica, he is writing to these believers, telling them how much they mean to him, how much he loves them, how proud he is. And he just said in the text I read you, which was where we ended last week, he just, he, we just read that he said, when, I, when the Lord returns, do you know what I get most excited about? Standing with you. Of all the things he could be excited about, no more battle, no more trial, no more flesh. He doesn't say that. He says it, is, it will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before the Lord Jesus when he returns. You, you are our pride and joy. It's very personal for Paul. It's very personal. This is, this is pastor to flock love. 
And how did it get so very personal? Because of what God did. Remember Ephesians 1.5. In Ephesians 1.5, it tells us that God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. It was personal between Paul and the believers in Thessalonica because God's whole plan was incredibly personal. It wasn't religious. It wasn't organizational. It wasn't corporate. It was personal. His unchanging plan, his ultimate goal, the reason Jesus came is to make this goal possible was to adopt us and make us God's kids. Why? Because that's what made him happy. Because it brought him pleasure. God did what brought him the most pleasure, and that's adopt you. That's why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to keep you out of hell. That's a side benefit. He came so that your adoption price could be made possible. I'm I'm excited. I love adoption. I love the picture of adoption. And you know, it is the ultimate ministry opportunity. So on a side note, if you want to adopt, we're going to pray for you and support you. It's such a picture. I, I, I don't know if I can say it right now. So I'm going to keep moving because I can't keep a secret, but we got a family in our church who's about to adopt again. And I want to see us support them and pray for them. And I, I, want, I want you to watch. And <laughs> Heather's going, it's not us, it's not us. Congratulations! <laughs> it is you! Is it a secret? <laughs> you know, in a couple of weeks, well, you asked if, about the shirts. In a couple of weeks, you're going to find out Chad and Teresa are in the process of adopting again. That's exciting! It's exciting. It's the ultimate pro-life move. And in case I haven't said it clearly, we are a pro-life church. Whether you're 900, whether you're an illegal immigrant, whether you are a baby in the womb of a mom, we are pro-life. And it's exciting. We need to pray for them. It's very expensive. It's very expensive. Much cheaper to kill a baby than it is to save a baby. So we need to pray for them and support them. It's an awesome thing. Surprise! Is Teresa here? <laughs> when you about the shirts, I thought it'd be okay. I'm already defending myself. I have a big mouth. Sorry. But listen, it's it's exciting. And I and I want you to understand again, as I keep saying, this is not a, a metaphor of the heaven. This is real. His plan, his plan was to adopt you, Tony. Was to adopt you in all your sin, in all your mess up, in jail. He said, I'm gonna adopt that guy. How crazy is that? And Satan says, you can't adopt him, he's mine. And God says, let me kill my son and I'll give you that price. How about if I kill the, third, the second member of the Trinity? Will you give me Tony then? Okay, we can agree to that. So he sent his son to die. That's why he died. It's not about hell. It's about adoption. And in case you're not paying attention, that changes everything. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. And they are starkly different. Different. It's personal between Paul and the believers because it was personal for God to us. And in 1 Thessalonians 1.4, he talks about that in an indirect way. He says, we know, dear brothers and sisters, we're family. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. In other words, you guys are different in the world. You're not, you're not just Jews or Gentiles. You are the kingdom of God. You're his kids. Because he, when he adopted us, he made us his people. He didn't, he didn't open an orphanage for lost souls. That's not what we are. We're not an orphanage. We're not even, a, as I've even used this illustration, this is where a hospital where sick people can come in and find healing. That's not true. This is the family of God. This is where brothers and sisters come to talk about our daddy, to learn about him. That's why we gather. But he not only gave us adoption, but he actually gave each other a gift, and that made him happy too. 
You are the gift to the person in front of you. All right, we're going to do this again. We did it three weeks ago, and it turned out really well. I want you to look at somebody that's not your family, and I want you to say, I'm God's gift to you. Go. All right. Now, it didn't happen to Lydia. Lydia's blowing kisses over here, but I did not read her lips. Lydia, you are God's, I am God's gift to you, Lydia. You, now you're going to have a nightmare tonight, aren't you? Mark is God's gift to me. Oh, no. This is true. This is true. You are God's gift to the person in front of you and behind you. You are no longer a sinner saved by grace. You are the adopted child of God, and you are the gift to the person in front of you, behind you, and around you for the kingdom cause. You're a gift. Well, I'm not a very good gift. Then clean yourself up. <laughs> Seriously. That's why we live lives of walk worthy. That's why we do that. Because I want to be a good gift. I, I, my grandmother, bless her heart, I learned that. Every Christmas, my grandmother on my dad's side would buy me remote control cars from Radio Shack. I'm telling you two values that Bonnie Wilkie had, Radio Shack and Sizzler Steakhouse. I, those were the two things she lived for, and cigarettes. Those were the three things she lived for. But every year at Christmas, I would get a Radio Shack car, just a little car, then, and it was, it was awesome. And for some reason, though, it didn't function well in water or dirt. I mean, I, they didn't last very long, and oh, was I disappointed when that thing fell apart, but it always, always fell apart. It's a disappointing gift. Don't be a disappointing gift to the person around you. You get the choice. You're a gift whether you're pretty or not. But don't be a disappointing gift. More on that to come. Um, a large part of the New Testament is actually about how God not only made us is his kids, but it goes on to talk about how God made us family, the church. The family of God put together with unique gifts so that we can work together building each other up. Do you remember Hebrews 10, 24, and 25? So let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. When I began, as I mentioned already today, when I began this series, I, I need to say it again. My point wasn't to get you verse by verse through Thessalonians, although we're going to do that. And my point wasn't to get you verse by verse through First and Second Timothy, although we're going to do that. My point is to, to actually help you understand. I want to I help you understand why we do this. I think you know in your head why we do this, but then we keep falling back to other reasons we do this. God did not birth this organization for the purpose of being a political action committee. He did not birth this organization to teach you how to raise kids. He didn't birth this organization to make you moral. Um, I'm going to tell you why he birthed this organization. And before I do, before I do, I want to take you on a little bit of a journey this morning. I want to start with John 15, verses 18 to 22. L listen, and I'm going to work through some scripture about as quick as the kid on the, on the screen this morning. And I want to make it clear that those of you who missed that gift, Robert uh, Grimes was making a joke about how fast I talk. So Robert doesn't go here anymore. He's been fired after next Monday. Um, John 15, these are the words of Jesus to his disciples. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if, it, if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? 
A slave is not greater than his master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they're going to persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. These were Jesus' words. But it's not only there. Look at Mark chapter 13, verses 3 to 12. Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across from the valley from the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and asked him, tell us what, uh, when all of this was going to happen. What sign will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? Jesus replied, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Jesus to his disciples, where's that teaching in the church? Don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't, come, won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world, like this morning in New Zealand, as well as famines. But this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. When these things begin to happen, watch out. You will be handed over to local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. So if I'm arrested, I get to share with those in jail Christ. That's what I'm saying. Verse 10, for the good news must first be preached to all nations. But when you are arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at the time. Chill. I got this. I love this. For it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. A brother will betray his brother to death. The father will betray his own child. Uh, and children will rebel, <coughs> will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And everyone will hate you because you're my followers. Wow. How about Matthew 16, 24 to 25? Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, my disciple, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And remember Paul's plea in Romans 12, 1? I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy, what's that word? Is anybody unclear on what the word sacrifice means? Is anybody unclear on what Jesus meant when he said, pick up your cross and follow me? He's not talking about salvation here, friends. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about after salvation. Choosing to be a disciple of God. Choosing to be a follower of His. Going beyond being saved. Actually surrendering control of your life to God for His, his use. In last week's conversation together, we, we went all over uh, Philippians and Ephesians where he, he exhorts us to walk worthy of our calling. And let me be clear, that is painful. It's painful to give up what you want. But the church doesn't do that. The church demands what we want politically. We demand what we want from pastors, from church leaders, from the people who sit around us. I wish you'd wear something else. It's distracting. We demand that everybody acts in a way that makes us comfortable. But Jesus was clear. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. It, for many of us, we go, man, I... I came to Christ when I was seven, and I just, I just don't have the peace that's talked about in Scripture. It's because you're seeking something selfish. Well, how can you say that? You don't know me. Your very desire to have fun in life says that you're centered on you and how you feel, and that is creeping into the church today. We say that we believe the Word of God is final authority. How, what that means, though, is it's final authority if it makes me feel good. 
or as I feel it means, or the, the, the classic, my favorite, the Bible has lots of things that are hard to understand, so it really is how you interpret it. Let me be clear. The Bible is always final authority, and by final authority, I mean final authority. So if you and I sit down and we decide, for instance, that God doesn't mind if you commit adultery anymore, and we feel good about that decision, just to be clear, if you open the Bible and it says don't commit adultery, the Bible wins. If we decide as a church, if we decide as a church that God no longer counts matters if you repent of sin on, at your salvation, if you go to 1 John 1, 9, it says if you confess your sin. I, I, this is going to be a shocking message for a lot of you because I'm a grace guy. He's a grace guy. Let me be clear. Salvation is absolutely free to all who call upon the name of the Lord for salvation, saved from the consequences of your sin. I believe that. It's free if you accept the gift, realizing you need the gift. Having said that, discipleship is not free. It's not free. It will cost you everything. Sacrifice. Everything. Your whims, your rights, your feelings, your desires. To be that thing we talk about in the church, a man or woman of God, has a great cost. In, in 2 Corinthians 5, or 2, 15 to 16, Paul says this, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are the dreadful smell of death and doom. If, in fact, we live our life faithful to the Lord, the New York Times will always hate us. Because we remind them of absolute truth. There is going to be an element of hate for us in the world because we cannot divert from what Jesus said. And what did Jesus say? I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody comes to my Father except through me. And the world says, we don't mind if you're Christian, just as long as, you know, you're not proselytizing. Just as long as you're not, I don't know, less loving like Jesus. You, you know, Jesus was loving. He accepted everybody. No, he didn't. He didn't accept everybody. He just said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to my daddy except through me. And he invites you through me to come to him. It's free. Come to him. But if the church leaves that, the church becomes wrong. God doesn't go, oh, I need people. Okay. This week on the news, somebody said, all those Christians are voting. You know, Whoopi Goldberg, that's who it was. Whoopi Goldberg said, hey, I like God as much as the next guy. Well, he's relieved, Whoopi. The fact is, everybody likes God. I mean, he makes us happy, right? That's not how this works. We're called to sacrifice and, and, and know him. And if we do, the world will hate you. And we talk about this a lot. I think we're pretty comfortable with the idea of being faithful in persecution. But I'd like to say that I think that probably most of us will never face real persecution in our life. I mean, unless you call going into Target and they don't say Merry Christmas, they say Happy Holidays as persecution. Are you kidding me? Or the cups at Starbucks are, you know, too whatever. <laughs> just, just so you're clear, Christmas is not a Christian holiday. It didn't start that way. We stole the holiday. 
it, it doesn't matter. I mean, why do I want the world to say Merry Christmas when they don't believe in the Christ? I mean, it doesn't make sense, church. It doesn't make sense. What are we doing? Nonetheless, that's not persecution. Having Whoopi Goldberg mock Christianity is not persecution. It's not. We all loved her in Sister Act. <laughs> Everybody under the age of 35 went, what? What? <laughs> I mean, it's not persecution, but we all kind of go, well, I can understand. I mean, our brothers and sisters' heads are getting chopped off. Well, let me just say that I believe that probably most of us in this room would be, expect it, and, and, and if it happened, somehow we would, through the power of the Holy Spirit, be okay. But I want to tell you about a bigger trouble that I don't think we're prepared for. More than the persecution we would face, Jesus Christ in the New Testament specifically, Paul talked about this in Ephesians 4, 17 to 30. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. He's writing, by the way, to believers here. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from life, God gives, because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They, make no, they have no sense of shame. Boy, isn't that where we live? They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. That's the world. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned about the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and, and, and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. <laughs> let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. And don't let sin, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, stop stealing. I love that. Very practical. I mean, you, there, there's, there doesn't need to be any exhortation on that. Christian, put on righteousness. Don't live like the world. If you're a thief, stop it. I love how practical it is. Oh, I don't, I don't know. The Bible's really unclear. And when he means stealing, does Greek mean taking other people's property? Or is it just a philosophical angle on the idea of stealing? Stealing is stealing, whether it's in Greek, English, Aramaic, or Swahili. Stop stealing. Instead, use your hands for hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he's identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So, uh, there's going to be trouble in life, he told the disciples, because they hate me. And he's talking about persecution. But then Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, who are believers, and he says, look, it's going to get really, really difficult. But not just because of the persecution you face, but because I am asking you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to stop feeding your flesh and living like the world. That's really hard. If somebody puts a gun to your head and says, do you love Jesus? You have a clear choice to make. I think dying for Christ is scarier, but probably easier than living for Christ. Because my flesh wants to do what my flesh wants to do. And Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, Mark, if you want to be more than my kid, if you actually want the peace of the Holy Spirit, if you want to, be, if you want to experience life with me, you're going to have to put your selfish whims aside and follow me. Pick up your cross, die to self. Let me be clear. 
We may never actually face the difficulty of persecution in our lives, but if we to choose to grow up in God and walk with him faithfully as his child, we will face trouble and difficulty of putting our flesh aside and doing what he wants more than what we feel like doing. Don't worry, I'm going to get to why we have church in a moment. I'm, I'm setting you up for the last five minutes of the message. Um, I am about to go off, okay? You don't see it very often. But apparently, I haven't, I haven't been clear in my grace message. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Christ, faithful to him, it means saying staying sexually abstinent before marriage even if you want to go to bed together. That's what he asked us to do. Let me be clear. If you want to be a man or woman of God, walking worthy of your calling, it means that men, even if you never ever get caught, you don't play with porn. It's not complicated. I just don't feel God. And maybe because you're feeding your gut with stuff that feeds your flesh and it's hollow as alcohol the day after you drunk yourself into a stupor. It means not telling your neighbor off when they let their dog poop on your lawn. That's what it means. But I mowed my lawn. Pick up the poop yourself. But I have a right. Yes, you do. That's your flesh. You have a right. It means not writing on Facebook everything you feel. But I have a right to be heard. Yes, you do. But not if it distracts from kingdom work. I have a right. Yeah. But not if you actually understand that your adoption in heaven is more important. It means, and here we go. I'm going to get some heat on this. But I'm ready. I took an extra dose of caffeine today. I want to talk to the Christian who has same-sex attraction for a second. The church is all of a sudden confused over what's sin and what's not sin. The Bible is not. And whether a person is a glutton and fat, or whether a person is a white liar or a gossip, as a child of God, God asks us to put away the desires of our flesh for his kingdom work. Even if you have desires. And if you have same-sex attraction, nobody has the right to tell you you don't have same-sex attraction. That's not the point. The point is, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you put that same-sex attraction aside for the work of the king. In 1 Corinthians, Paul praised the people of Corinth, some in Corinth, who were called eunuchs by their will. We have no idea what the issue was, but they basically avoided sex for the sake of the kingdom. They committed themselves to singleness for the kingdom work. They spent their lives serving the king instead of being married. Because I've got news for you. I could be much more effective or, or spend much more time in kingdom work if I didn't have a wife and two kids. That's why actually in the scriptures, you're encouraged if, if you don't need to be married, don't get married. Spend your time 100% of your day with the Lord. And when you're married, you can't do that because your priority has to be your family. Case in point. I uh, can't even imagine killing somebody. It's not in me. I'm, I'm not a Marine. Sorry. I, I, somebody goes, that's California in you. Whatever. But when I married Julie and gave birth to Zach and Annie, at that point I picked up a gun. 
because my first priority is not to you, it's to them. That's part of scripture. That's my, key. That's my, that's my little kingdom. And whether I ever want to hurt somebody or not. Now, if I'm alone in the house, that's a totally different question. But I am called to protect them. I'm called to protect you. And I do a lot. We have people, <laughs> we have people show up who don't like you very much sometimes. And we send them on their way. It's weird. But you're my folks. And that's, that's a priority we take. But you have to understand if you have same-sex attraction, if you have other sex attraction, and you're not, okay, same-sex attraction is a sin. It's not a bigger sin than lying, but it's a sin. If you have same-sex attraction and you want to be a disciple of Christ, a follower, if you want to be in this 100%, I'm not saying get rid of the same-sex attraction. You don't have to go to therapy. You don't need shock treatment. It's real. I'll give you that. However, you can't act on it. Sorry. If you are a man or woman of God, and you have opposite sex attraction, unless you are in a monogamous married relationship, you cannot claim to be in fellowship with God and be sleeping with somebody. If you claim to be in fellowship with God, and you have a constant attitude problem, and you're a gossip, you are not in fellowship with God, even if you give a lot to the church. You're giggling because we all know that we put up with Miss Beasley because Miss Beasley gives $100,000 a year to the church. We've all been in church. We don't have a Miss Beasley at Carpenter's Way. I wish we did. <laughs> because if we did, I would struggle with that sin. But we don't. The, the, the thing is, this is not about our organization. This is about our daddy. This was not about what the church. There's a big debate today going on around the church. What is 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 uh, homosexuality a sin? What? Who cares what the church thinks? The church is irrelevant in the discussion. I've been getting a lot of calls because this is going around Christendom. What do you think of what so-and-so wrote? And I've been responding to a lot of you by saying, don't know what she wrote, don't care what she wrote, what I know is what the scripture says. I, I, I encourage you, there's too many bloggers. Who cares what you think? Go back to the word of God. Everybody's got an angle, everybody's got a hurt, everybody's got a flesh, and we need to shut up. We talk too much. Internet people and unsaved people at Carpenter's Way. This has nothing to do with you. If you are same in a same-sex relationship and you don't know Jesus Christ, have at it. Oh, you just destroyed America. Get over it. No, I didn't. The fact is you're going to hell and this is as good as it gets. Feed your flesh as much as you can because it only gets worse from here. Jesus Christ in offers you life and hope and peace, but to do that, you have to confess your sin. If you don't want to confess your sin, you don't get God. You get Christian religion. And maybe that'll make you a little happier. But if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to cleanse us, or to forgive us our sins, and then cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1 9. It starts with realizing you're a sinner, realizing you need saving, and God is merciful. And it's not, He didn't come to save homosexuals or liars or thieves. He came to, to save sinners, pastors, and deacons, and elders, and, and, and no matter what your history is, He came to save black people, and white people, and green people, and purple people. He came to save us, politicians and lowlifes like us. He came to save us. Jesus Christ is the great uniter because we all, when we realize we need him, we run to him. 
There's too much talk in the church. Well, what does your church think about this? Who cares what your church thinks about that? God doesn't care. The question is, what does God think about this? And because we've made it a business here, it's no longer personal. We've removed God effectively from the equation. Don't get me wrong. He has a place of prominence in the church. We have crosses all over the place, but not preeminence. You see, the question for the person who's, who's got same-sex attraction or the adulterer or the immoral man or woman is not what does the church think about that. It's what does God think about that. And God has sent his son to save you from that. And we would all laugh at the end of the story of Lazarus after Jesus brings him back to life. As he goes out there, they unwrap him, he high-fives Jesus, and he goes and lays back in the tomb. He doesn't do that. He goes to Mary and Martha's house and eats dinner because that's what live people do. Too many of us have crawled back into the tomb. You've been saved from this. It's hard, Pastor. It's hard. I know it's hard. I've got my own stuff, you know? We've all got our own stuff. My stuff's different than your stuff. And you're right. For those of you with same-sex attraction, I'd like to confess something. The church treats your attraction, your flesh, different than it treats its own. We laugh about overeating, and we laugh about slander, and we laugh about bless your heart, and you're right. Those are sin, too, that we need to cast off. You're right. We're wrong. But that doesn't make it okay. If you're going to claim, claim to be a disciple of Christ, a follower, if you're going to claim to walk worthy, you're going to have to do the best you can to walk worthy and ask God for help. That's the trouble you're going to face in this life. That's the trouble we face. You see, Paul is talking about choosing God over self. And that self-sacrifice is very hard. Okay, about to turn. Pay attention. We're almost done, believe it or not. God gave you three tools with which to overcome your flesh. Three tools. Trice. That's Spanish for three. The Word of God. 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3 says, All Scripture is breathed by God and is, 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 is perfect to tell us what's wrong in our lives. Remember that? Verse 3.16 and 17. The second thing, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to us. John 1.13, Jesus said that. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and He's going to give you guidance and counsel. But here's the one we don't talk about. The third one. It's us. It's the church. The church is the third gift God gives us to help us walk worthy of our calling. And, and, and look what Satan has done. Don't judge. When in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says, I don't judge those outside. I definitely judge those inside. You see, as this becomes personal and not corporate, when the church has done this in the past, this is what it looks like. Uh, would Julie Wilkie please come up? And Julie Wilkie comes up and stands. Julie, do you have something to say to the flock? Yes, I killed three people this week, and I'd like to <laughs> repent of killing all of them. And the church just goes, oh, Julie killed three people this week. Poor Julie, she must struggle so. We love you, Julie, and we will help you never kill another person again. Have you seen that? It's called church discipline. It's just not biblical church discipline. If a person confesses their sin, it's as if they never did it. It stops at that point. And we have a tendency in the church, especially in the white church, and we've got to own this, 
of letting our political feelings, our fleshly feelings, and our theology marry. For instance, many of us grew up being told that there shouldn't be interracial marriage, and we found some archaic verse that God told Israel as an instruction because he wanted them to be a special nation. And unless a Gentile had been actually, uh, had been actually uh, alienated into the nation of Israel, a Jew could not marry outside of the nation. And there were lots of reasons for that, and he explains it, but that was a national rule. Tattoos. That just fixed, that, that fits mom and dad's agenda. Don't mark your body. When you get old, it dangles. Just make sure your tattoo actually looks good dangling. Like a sail, an upside-down ship. That would be awesome. <laughs> See that? That's great. I mean, the fact is that Scripture never forbids tattoos. Oh, yeah, it says don't mark your body. We're talking about a king to his people. We're not talking about Christendom. We take archaic verses and we pull them out of context to fit our attitude. The church, for better or for worse, for worse was pro-slavery for almost 200 years in this country. How dare we? I just heard this week, I did not realize this, it was not until 1965 that Africans and people of color could not vote in our country. Is that accurate? What's the year? 64. Breathe. I was born in 1966. Are you kidding me? Did you see the help? That's still slavery, just a different form. Endorsed often by the church. 1964, black people couldn't vote? That is insanity. Their vote counted. Well, they could, they could, their vote counted. One third of a vote, because that's all the humanity. The church endorsed that. What are we doing? We have been on the wrong side of stuff for too long. Why? Because we preached our flesh and not the word of God. We've preached ourselves, and we have been wrong so much, and it's time for us to stop answering questions and let God answer questions. And what is the value of the church? It keeps us in his word, because we all have feelings. Here we go. The church was not birthed by God so that we could have a religious movement. That's not. Why? These gatherings were not invented, ready, to find the lost. That's not why we gather. That's, that's why I don't do an altar call. If you are here this morning or watching on the internet and you're not saved, it is my prayer that you meet Jesus. But please understand that our conversations from the Word of God are for believers. You don't need to worry about what God thinks about homosexuality. All you need to worry about is whether or not you are friends with God and what the Scripture says about becoming His friend. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess, if you confess your sin... He's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse you from unrighteousness. All the other stuff doesn't matter. All the other stuff. Because that's what the Word of God says. It is not your business how the church functions, how we view women, how we view homosexuals, whatever. What matters is you and God. Once you and God are made right, then come join us and fix us where we're blind. Fix us where we're blind. That's what the church does. The church comes together around God's word and we discuss what it says and we grow each other up. I'm not there yet though. The gatherings were not invented just to reach the lost. We do that out of here. These gatherings were not invented to help you be a good spouse. These gatherings were not invented to make you a good parent. These gatherings were not invented so we could be, have a unified front on overcoming poverty or terrorism or immorality in our society. That's not why God invented the church. All of those things may be good things, but that's not the purpose of her. These gatherings were not invented so you can feel better about yourself. God did not want us to bring coloring books and puppies to church. 
And I believe some of you are watching what's going on with millennials all across this country. And you're going, are you kidding? They got the day off from their exams because of an election. What is wrong with these people? I assure you, the church is just as blind. Well, I'm going to go to a church that does music the way I want music to be done. I don't like the color. The chairs, they hurt my tushy. I think we need, who cares what you think? Well, it's easy for you to say you're the pastor. Who cares what I think? The elders don't. <laughs> it's, it's not our church. It's not our church. It's his church. Well, we need to make building decisions. Look, we're about to pay our building off sometime this next year, God willing. That's awesome. But that doesn't mean we stop giving. We need a bigger bathroom here. So we're going to get a bigger bathroom. A big old honking bathroom. We can all go at the same time. I don't know where we're going to meet, but it's good. we're going to have the bathroom in here. We need to do that. But you know what? All that money that comes in just because we pay off our building, it needs to keep coming in because there's people lost and there's encouragement to be found. And there's, there, there's, you know what? The poor, we can use that as a medium by which to reach people for Jesus outside of the walls of these. There's an opportunity we have. Funds allow us to plant churches globally. Funds allow us to do that. So we're not lowering the budget. Maybe 50 cents next year. In 2018. Maybe we'll go down 50 cents. But I assure you, we, now, a church is not a business. So let me tell you what the philosophy, my philosophy, and I'm just one leader among many, let me say that, is we need to spend every penny that comes in. Our goal is not to have a bank account. You know what happens to churches that have big bank accounts? Pastors no longer care what you think. You know why? They don't need you. There's, a, there's a, a relationship that God has built where we need each other. We count on each other. And, and we need each other now. We go and we find churches that say what I, want, what I want to hear. Do you know how dangerous that is? What if that church is wrong? Well, I'm not going to go to a church that's wrong. What if you can change the wrongness? This is a dialogue. This is a conversation between God's people where we open God's word and we see what he says. What blows my mind, because I'm such a... I, I'm, I'm sorry, but when you hired me, I told you, I believe the word of God is final authority. And most of you have said that. But I am amazed today at the number of people that go, well, I believe that it's authoritative, but the truth is I just don't feel like that means what it says. Oh, okay, want a coloring book? <laughs> All right, okay then. All right, nothing else to talk about. Let's close in prayer. I mean, what do you do with that? It says what it says. Well, I don't like what it says. All right, well, I don't either. What do you want to do about it? Let's, let's create something new. We'll call it mm, Jehovah's Witnesses. Which, by the way, is what happened in 1919. Have you read the story? Didn't like what was said. So you know what they did? They created a new religion. Charles Russell. And then he rewrote the New Testament so it kind of matched it. <laughs> I guess that's okay. It's tragic. And the church is on the press pass of doing it again. That's not our task. Our task is to preach the Word of God. Because the truth of the word of God is valid for you if you're in the inner city or you're in the country. If you're white or black, rich or poor, whether you're slave or free man, the truth is that real freedom is found in Jesus Christ. And our citizenship is found in heaven. The problem is, my flesh wants to win. Like really, really win. I want to win politically. I want to be in a country that has the values of the kingdom. Do you know why I want to live in a country that has the values of the kingdom? Why doesn't somebody tell me why I want that? It's not for the lost. Why? Somebody tell me. Makes life easier. 
<laughs> Let's close in prayer. So sometimes my political rhetoric that is backed by Scripture actually is selfishness in disguise. Jesus was very clear this was going to be tough. And he gave us the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to help us and each other. These, these, this church was invented for this, and I'll read it real quick. I, believe it or not, I'm about to end, probably, at some point in the near future. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to, wait, what does that say? So if a people group is part of why we gather, what's the people group that we are to center on on Sunday mornings? If we are to focus as an elder and pastor, ooh, I know I'm on. If we are to focus as an elder or pastor on a group of people, is it the lost? It's very clear there. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So Sunday morning, Wednesday nights, those gatherings are to build you up to equip you. Here it goes. This will continue until, all, uh, until we come to, all, to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. That's what we do. That's why we gather. That's my job. That's the deacon's job. For those of you who, know, who, who wonder why we don't have an altar call every Sunday, that's the passage. That's why. Because an altar call turns into an evaluation time for those who don't walk it. Hmm, was it a good service? Yes, three people got saved. Well, that's not what I asked. It's nice that three people got saved, but that's not the goal of our gathering. The goal of our gathering is Christians to grow up in maturity. So now all of a sudden we have to evaluate it based upon a totally different rubric. It has to be on whether or not people are serving. People's lives are being transformed. Actually, it isn't about success or failure as the world judges it. It's as God judges it. Are you following me? I mean, this is the thing that the church was for, to grow us up. Part of what we do is evangelism and helping each other being better parents and spouses or better people or interact uh, in, in, a, in a culture and how to bless them. But our daddy actually invented this to grow each other up spiritually because there's nowhere else for us to go for that kind of encouragement. Beth Moore is great, but at the end of the book, you have to find the next book. There is nothing like the church. There's nothing like the body of Christ. You get to know each other, the kids of God. You get to talk about God. You know when I'm in a bad mood and when I'm excited. You can feel it. Why? Because we have a relationship. And Satan wants to replace that with really good teachers out there. Good teachers. Uh, David Jeremiah is a phenomenal teacher, but he's not your pastor. You don't know David Jeremiah. You don't know his family. You don't know what he's doing in secret. But I can't keep a secret. You found that out a little while ago. You know when I'm grumpy. You know when I'm happy. I hate it because about a dozen of you, every time I'm in a bad way, comes up and goes, are you okay? Do you need a break? I just want to slap you. But that is your task. Just stop asking. Uh, it's, just, it's just what we do. It's, it's a relationship. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us now think of ways to motivate each other to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect meeting together as some do, but encourage each other, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Back to 1 Thessalonians. You were wondering if I'd get there. I promise, five more minutes, or 10, or 20. 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 through 3, 13. I'm going to read it through. Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, 
we tried hard to come back uh, because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. After all, what gives us hope and joy, and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus Christ when he returns? It's you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. Chapter 3. Finally, when we, stand it, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you and to encourage you in your faith and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. Do you see it? It's right there. This letter of Thessalonians isn't so much of a theological or doctrinal book as much as an example of what the church can be. People who love each other, where a shepherd is more concerned for the spiritual health of the flock than he is his own, you know, thing. It's an incredible relationship. His love for them was the direct result of them joining him in faithfulness by giving their lives to God as living sacrifices. And like he, they were facing really, really tough suffering. And so, out of love and concern, he sent them young Pastor Tim. That's what he does. Here we go, keep reading, verse 3. But you know that we are destined for such trials as this. Even while we were with you, we warned you that these troubles would soon come, and they did, as you well know. That's why I could bear it no longer. I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. Just as a side note here, in case you wonder if Paul ever freaks out, this is what it looks like. He's panicking because he hears their suffering. He's afraid he's going to lose them, like every other church. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless, but now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and love. He reports that, that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. How we thank God for you. Because of you, we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Night and day we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again to fill the gaps in your faith. May God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ bring us to you very soon. And may the Lord make your love for one another for all the people grow and overflow, just as our love for you is overflowing. May he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God and Father of our Lord Jesus, when, when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. Amen. Their gathering, our gathering, is not a religious gathering or a por- corporate gathering. It's a, it's a personal gathering. We are family. You just can't fit into a living room. When you drive in the parking lot, you'll notice that on the side of the wall, it says the, it is the home of Carpenter's Way Church. The building is in Carpenter's Way Church. You're Carpenter's Way Church. This is the home of us. And when we leave, it'll still be the home. But if you get mad, don't burn us down. That seems to be a thing in society today. When you don't like what society does, you burn your own house down. That's insanity. If you don't like what's going on, go back to God. You don't like what I'm doing? Tell my daddy on me. You don't like what's going on around you? Go to your dad, Pastor Mark. He takes too long. All right, then take things into your own hands. Isn't that what we're doing? I mean, the fact is, it's hard. It's hard because of them and how they view us. It's hard because our families don't understand, and it's even more hard because we want to do what's wrong. It is what it is. And God has given us his word to tell us what's right, and he's given us our, the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what's right. And he's given us each other when we fall so that we can look at each other and say, God is still gracious, he's still merciful, and he's not mad at you, you bonehead. Quit stealing. Or I'll visit you in jail. It's not a big deal. We've turned this into a big deal. 
We're a family. My job, the elder's job, the job of the deacons, the job of the Bible study leaders, your job is to make sure that we always stay on message and task and we always encourage each other. Since I came nearly 12, 12 years ago, we've talked, we've talked about message and task all the time, always on there. But now, it's time for us to talk about how God organized our family. Because He did. Just like He gives a family, a mommy and a daddy, God organized the church with leadership. And so I think it's important for us at this time in history and this time in church history that we learn what He said about it. So we're going to go into First and Second Timothy. That's why we're going to go there, because you need to know. You need to know how much God loves you. And you know how you're going to know? Because He provided for you. He provided not just for your salvation and adoption. He didn't provide just so that you could be a good husband or wife. He provided the church so that somebody could come alongside you, put their arm around you and say, you screwed up this week, didn't you? Yes, I did. It's okay. Let's keep going. And sometime it's going to be me that you're going to need to put your arm around. And I got to be honest with you. I'm very introverted. I know that shocks you. I'm very... (laughs) That wasn't a joke. I am very private. And so when somebody like Larry Brevard is reading me, I want to go, well, I'm great, Larry, life's good. Didn't Julie just get diagnosed with foot cancer? Yeah, but we're really pleased. It's an opportunity to minister to the lost now. All those foot doctors, I'm really excited about it, Larry. Thanks for asking. It's a lie. I'm not happy if Julie gets, she doesn't have foot cancer, by the way. (laughs) But that doesn't make me happy. And I don't have to act like it makes me happy. That's a lie. It's your job to remind me that it's still well with my soul, with or without foot cancer. That's your job. That's why we gather. That's why we do this. So don't settle for Sunday morning preaching. Go to Bible study. It's important. You've got to know people. Because Carpenter's Way Church isn't the building or the programming. It's the family. Does that make sense? Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. I know it takes me a lot of words to get to the end, but I pray that you would remove all the wasted stuff and you just keep it on focus. That it is hard, Father, to stay on message, to stay on task, and ultimately to say, just to remain a living sacrifice. That is hard. We need each other to do that along with the Holy Spirit and the word of God. So help us, Father. Help us walk worthy of our family's name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You will find puppies and coloring books in your Bible study classes. (laughs) You must, you must think I'm strong Give me what I'm going through Well, forgive me, forgive me if I'm wrong But this looks like more than I can do On my own